You know, if you've been here the past three months or so, we've been working our way through a sermon series entitled No Greater Love, and in that we've been talking about all these many facets for God's love for us. And I can tell you that one of the greatest ways that we can live out His love in us for others is through VBS. And I just want to mention that again because we have a unique opportunity here to show the love of God firsthand to our neighbors and tell them about Jesus Christ. And I believe that our ministry, all of our ministry, carrying out the Great Commission is never more effective than when we show our love and concern and take time out of our schedules to serve those who are the weakest. You know, the most fragile, those unable to defend themselves, those with the greatest need. And generally speaking, children, these precious kids in our church and those that live around our church, all around here, they fit into that category. And Keith, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. That's still coming through. Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Um, Jesus addressed all of this, what I'm talking about, in reference to... The final judgment in Matthew, he's talking about that terrible and that wonderful day that we're all going to face at the end of this life. And he said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. We have an obligation, guys, as laborers for Christ to share him and his love with all those around us. And VBS, Vacation Bible School, it's a great way to do that. And again, you can serve as a worker. You can, you can donate needed items or both. But, but the greatest act of service you could, you could show this week in terms of Vacation Bible School is just bringing a kid. Okay, I, We really want our kids in our neighborhood. And we've talked to them and we've, we've blanketed the neighborhood with flyers. I don't know if they'll come or not. Please be praying that they will come. Because I know many of these families and I know their kids. And, and there is no relationship with many of them with God. And this may be uh, an incredible opportunity to share Christ with them. Okay? Today then as we continue our series we've been on we're going to talk about His unfailing love. As I mentioned earlier His love is many things. And one of the greatest truths about His love for us is that it never fails. Okay, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 54, if you have your Bibles, and I think we'll have it on the screen. And we're going to hang out there today in uh, Isaiah 54 as our main text, and see what the Father says about His unfailing love for us. All right, and we'll start on verse 1. I just want to say the past two weeks we've talked about freedom in Christ as a facet of the Father's love for us. And we read Galatians chapter 4 
where Paul actually quotes the first verse of Isaiah 54, where we are today, which is God consoling his people and reminding them of the promise of their future. And the pertinent part, the relevant part of this chapter in Isaiah for us is that God is referring here, when he says this, to the new covenant promises for the New Testament church, of which we are a part. So these verses that we're going to, to study today, albeit in the Old Testament, are not just historical in nature. They're, in fact, uh, directly apply to you and me, okay? And keep in mind that at the time that God spoke these words, as I was telling you at the opening of the service today in Isaiah 54, his people were at their lowest low, all right? They traded trusting in God and his promises for trusting in themselves and the promises of the world, and it landed them in a pretty miserable state. So the audience here is the exiled people of God, exiled from their own land into Babylon, the enemy territory, exiled from their own blessings, their own future, because of their own sin, and their choice is to follow the world instead of following God. And they, by all accounts, from the eyes of the world, were hopeless and helpless and doomed at this point. But not so with God. As he renews his promises and he reminds his people that even though they've strayed, even though in their disobedience there's still judgment, he reminds them that he will still restore them and prosper them and bless them if they will turn back to him. Okay, and that last part, if they will turn back to him, that's key to everything that follows. So keep that in mind as we work through this. When we turn our hearts fully toward God, he releases so much blessing and promise into our lives. But it only comes when we place our faith and trust in him, not in trusting in the world and putting our faith in the, in the deceptions of the enemy, all right? So this passage, this message from God is one of the many uh, really incredible examples of God's overwhelming mercy and grace for us, his people. And it's uh, really a truly beautiful expression of his unfailing love for you and me. So let's look at Isaiah 54. We'll start with the first 10 verses. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Okay, this is the verse that Paul quotes in Galatians 4.27. And the Lord is saying here prophetically that the old covenant people of God were like a barren woman because of their disobedience. But the new covenant people of God will become like a mother of a growing family. And as we'll see in the coming verses, he continues foretelling that his people, this growing family, will expand globally. And of course, we see now that this prophecy has not only come to pass, but is continuing in the church of Jesus Christ today. So it's a beautiful thing about what's happening in Isaiah 54. He's not only addressing the old covenant people in exile, he's addressing us. Okay, Verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. And let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. I love these verses. I wonder sometimes if we shouldn't post these two verses on the walls of every one of our churches. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and the people and will people the desolate cities. All right. God here is commanding his people 
to prepare expectantly for many more to be added to their family. He's saying, get ready. You're going to need a bigger tent. Because what you have now won't even begin to hold all the people that will be added to your numbers. We should all be so expectant for what God is going to do through this ministry and through the church, shouldn't we? And I'm not talking about, by the way, as an aside, building a bigger organization. Okay? I'm talking about building the body of Christ. As the kingdom of God expands, the local church will expand as a byproduct, as a, as a fruit of our labor. But I think this has been too backward for too long. We've focused in church leadership, in my opinion, for too long on building bigger organizations with the justification that when we do that, when, when we get it big enough, we can really go out and do something. We can reach the world for Christ. Whereas if we will focus on building the kingdom of God one believer at a time, the local church will swell and we'll build new buildings and do all of that if we need to. Who cares? It's not our problem. Jesus can worry about that. If, if we get to the point where we can't hold it all, great, I hope that happens. But our focus can't be how do we get to two, three services? How do we get to the next building? Our focus has to be how do I snatch souls from the fire of hell? And as the kingdom grows, this church will swell as a fruit of that labor, okay? Verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she's cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. It was 70 years of exile, which I'm certain didn't seem like a brief moment for the Jews. But that's what he says. It just underscores the disparity that sometimes exists between our perception and God's. Okay? Particularly when it comes to timing. And so we have to remember in all things and in every situation that we face that God is eternal. He's always been. He's uncreated. He has no beginning and he has no end. It's very difficult for us as created beings to truly grasp the infinitude of God. But on the whole, this earthly lifetime is merely a blip on the timeline of eternity, okay? Let's continue, verse 8. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Okay, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 9. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. So here God is now setting up the promises that come along with his unfailing love for us in the verses that follow. Okay, so listen now to what he says about his love for us in verse 10. We read it earlier today. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love or unfailing love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. He says... No matter how bad it gets, even if the mountains themselves crumble and the landscape is laid barren, my love for you will never fail you. 
Okay? How often in life do we need to hear that message from God? You know, we can get ourselves into a pretty miserable state sometimes. We can mess things up. We can follow our own desires instead of his. We can buy in to what the world is selling and find ourselves in a lot of trouble. I've been there. Sometimes it shows up in our relationships. We make choices based on our desires or our hurts and fears. And instead of listening intently to his voice on the matter, we sometimes end up in relationships that aren't his best for us. Or we end up damaging relationships that may be well where he's put us. But maybe we've made a mess of things. Sometimes it shows up in circumstances. We get ourselves into tough situations, don't we? And over time, we can get lost in the world that we've created for ourselves, wondering how we got there. And sometimes it simply shows up when we wake up one day and we realize that we're far from God. And that by our choices and our sin and our wandering, that we're in a place of spiritual exile. And the idea of coming back to a place of health and growth and life and love in the Lord seems less like a promise, you know, and more like a, a pipe dream, doesn't it? But not so with God. Because he's not only promised us love, but a love that will never, ever, ever fail. It never fails us. And in verse 10, and in those that follow it, he goes on to spell out what is provided for each one of us by his unfailing love. So let's look at that. Verse 10 outlines three provisions for us by his unfailing love. And as you continue to read all the way through verse 17, which we'll do, each one of these three aspects of his unfailing love is elaborated on or expanded on in the, in the coming verses. So again, first part of verse 10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Okay? In his unfailing love for us, we have security. As we continue reading verses 11 and 12, we'll see that he builds this secure foundation, a future for all those living in exile, all of those living in dif difficult circumstances, all those who are in estranged relationships or simply strained relationships. He builds this secure future for all of those who've lost their way, those who can't see any good future ahead of them, okay? In his unfailing love for us, there's security. Let's read verses 11 and 12. O oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. Have you ever felt that way? Afflicted, storm-tossed, and not comforted. Behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles, pinnacles of a gate, that's jasper or ruby, your gates of carbuncles, that's crystal, and all your wall of precious stones. Okay, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is, of course, at the end of this earthly age, when we are, we are all gathered together in the New Jerusalem, and we see this further explained and described in Revelation 21. But he's also telling the exiles that his people then and now have a secure future in him. He's saying, even when the world is crumbling around you, right, the mountains are falling down and life seems to be this desolate place, he's building beneath you a secure foundation made from the finest materials. And it's all because of his unfailing love for you. Okay, in short, the message for us today from these verses we've just read is that no matter, no matter where you are in life right now, no matter the hurt, no matter the uncertainty, your anxiety, 
whatever you're facing, you can rest in the absolute assurance that you have a secure future in Christ because his love will never fail you. Everything else in this life may fail you. But his love will never fail you. And since he's the one who has all the power to act on our behalf, all the wisdom to know what's best for us, all the control in every circumstance that we face, it is a great and wonderful truth to know that he is the one that we can truly rely on. Right? The 20th Psalm sums this up the best. It's a prayer that's all about security in Christ. And it's only nine verses, so we're going to read it quickly because it really underscores this idea that we have security in him by his unfailing love for us. Okay, so let's jump to Psalm 20 quickly and we'll go through this. Psalm 20, verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Oh, what a great way to start off a prayer. You know? God doesn't turn a deaf ear to us. When we call out to him in our trouble, we have security in knowing that he hears us and he answers us every time we call on him. He goes on, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. He acts on our behalf. In other words, he protects us. He helps us in our time of need. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Okay? The offerings and sacrifices he's talking about here were the means by which God's people showed their devotion and commitment to him. So what, is, what does it mean for us? It means that as we serve him, as we devote ourselves to him, not only in the big things, but in small ways, he's watching and he doesn't disregard our commitment to him. Even if no one else ever sees our devotion to God, he sees it. Every kind act, every gift, every moment of service, every word of encouragement, every compassion, as you devote yourself to God and serve him, he takes notice. And he brings blessing and security into our lives. Did you know that? Verse 4, may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Now, this is a great part of the prayer. But keep in mind that this verse just came on the heels of verse 3. This is another one of those verses that sometimes we sort of sling it around. But you have to take it in context of the rest of it. It's good. Okay, but it comes on the heels of verse 3, which is all about our devotion and service and commitment to Him. Alright, we can't have one verse without the other. So in other words, we can rest in the security of knowing that He grants our desires and fulfills our plans that are in devotion and service and commitment to Him. Right? This is one of the aspects of serving God that's so exciting to me. You see, as long as our motivation is devotion to Him, as long as our action is serving Him, as long as our purpose is commitment to him. In other words, when we ask, well, according to his will, he grants our desires and fulfills our plans. And it gets better because nowhere in this is there a clause that limits what we can ask for as long as it is according to his will. You have to keep that part in mind, okay? If you're fully devoted, <coughs> committed, and serving God, and you ask for 10,000 souls to come to Christ through your ministry... I wholeheartedly believe that he will grant that. Now listen, it may mean sacrifice, 
giving up your own life and your desires for his, that's devotion. It may mean a lot of hard work along the way, even when you don't feel like it, that's service. It may mean never giving up, no matter what comes your way and no matter the cost, that's commitment. But once you go all in for God, you can ask anything according to his will and he will grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. That is awesome. I'm praying for big things for Upcountry Church. What's it going to take? It's going to require devotion. It's going to require service. It's going to require commitment. But I'm all in. How about you? You don't have to answer that right now if you don't want to. <laughs> Some of you did. I give you time to think about it. Of course you are. I know you are. This church, there's something special happening here. And I know that you're all in. But keep it in mind because the journey won't always be easy. There are times when this whole deal can be really arduous. Sometimes it's boring. It's hard. It's like plowing hard ground sometimes. But if you keep at it, you work it, and you fertilize it, and you care for it, and you love it, it will produce fruit. And I believe whatever we ask according to his will, he's going to fulfill it for upcountry church, for this body, in your lives individually. And I mean that. Verse 5. We're still in Psalm 20. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. Okay, this is all about worship and thanksgiving, which of course is key to a life devoted to Christ. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. This mirrors the request in verse 4, right on the heels of worship and devotion to God. Now verses 6 through 9, we're getting squarely back to the idea of, of security, the security that we have in him when we turn our hearts back to him, okay? Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And so this last verse bookends the prayer as it mirrors the first, okay? We can rest in him this morning knowing that we're secure because his love will never fail us. People who are facing uncertainty, they say things all the time like, I don't know what the future holds. And that can be very unsettling. And it's true. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But he does. And he has you cradled in the palm of his hand. He's crafting a sure foundation and a secure future for you because he loves you unfailingly. Hold on to that truth and don't let go because he isn't letting go of you, all right? And so clearly these verses we see that one of the benefits that comes with being a child of God is the promise of a secure future and we can all rest in that, okay? We're promised security and his unfailing love for us and as we continue reading back in the original text, we also see that we have a promise of peace. 
Okay, if you're keeping an outline, that's point number two. Security is one. Peace, all right? Again, Isaiah 54:10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. That's security. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. Now, if we skip down to verses 13 through 17, we see some corresponding promises of peace, which is further confirmation of what he says in verse 10. Okay, so verse 13, and your children, excuse me, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I've created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces weapon for its purpose. Produces a weapon for its purpose. I've also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Can you picture it? You know, the blacksmith with the roaring fire and he's making a sword in the coals. But he says, no weapon formed against you shall succeed. You see, we have peace that is stronger than any weapon formed against us because it is a peace forged in the fires of God's unfailing love for his people. And Jesus confirms it in his word. In in, uh, John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In John 16.33, he reminds us, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay? The peace that God offers us is far greater than the trouble that the world tries to thrust upon us. Are you with me? The peace that God offers us is far greater than the trouble that the world tries to thrust upon us. Do you believe that? It's, it's true. The key to living a life at peace, no matter your surroundings, is to first be at peace with God. That means be reconciled to Him. So if there's sin in your life, repent. If there's strife in your marriage, stop fighting to win the argument and start fighting for reconciliation. Fight the enemy, not your spouse. Be ruthless with the enemy and humble and compassionate with your spouse. And watch God's peace reign in your marriage. If you're struggling with friendships, neighbors, co-workers, people at church, even when those people have wronged you, if you'll put away strife and instead try on forgiveness and grace. And more than anything, in all these situations, if you'll let love reign supreme you'll find that the more you love others, the less critical you'll be of their faults, their shortcomings, you know, their mistakes. The more you love. If you're struggling with the world, you can break the grip of temptation and control by submitting your life completely to Christ. That will mean giving up some things. It's mainly your entire life. But the reward among many other things, is a peace that passes all understanding, right? Paul says it well in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, it always comes back to love. Unfailing love. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. We're called to be at peace with one another and at peace with Christ. And that peace comes from him. It's not an atmosphere that we create. It's a gift from God because he loves us and is desirous for us to be at peace. All we need do is turn to him instead of the world, instead of our own fears, instead of our own strength, and he will grant this good gift in his unfailing love for us. Okay, We have the promise of security. The promise of peace. And finally in verse 10, the Lord makes it clear that he brings security and peace by his unfailing love for us because he's compassionate to our plight. Once more, verse 10, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Okay, skip down to verse 17 and we'll finish out chapter 54. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. You see, he was full of compassion for the exiles in Babylon when they turned back to him. The beauty of this statement for us is knowing that after all that the Israelites had done in offense to God, all of their gross sin and perversions, they're panting after other gods, false gods, all of their mistreatment of others, just utter disregard for their heavenly father. He was still full of compassion for them. It's no different for us. In fact, if you continue reading the next chapter, in Isaiah chapter 55, it's all about his compassion for us. We won't take the time to read it, but let's just look at the first three verses. And listen for the common denominator in these three verses, and I'll give you a hint. Listen to how often he repeats the first word. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. When we come to him, he's full of compassion for us. And he offers security and peace. And it's all because of his steadfast, unfailing love for us. And the only condition is that we come to him. Are you hurting today? Are you frightened today? Is life bearing down on you? Do the pressures of this world have a grip in your life. He's full of compassion, but you must come to him.
Are you looking for security in your life, in your finances, in your job, in your relationships, in your future? He's full of compassion. But you must come to him. Do you need peace right now in your marriage, in your home, in your family, in your mind? He's so full of compassion for you. His ear is inclined to hear your cry for help. And his love will never, ever, ever fail you. But you must come to him. Okay? He's calling us to peace. He's offering us security. And he's full of compassion. And all we need to do is come to the Father. We're going to gather around this bread and juice to share the Lord's table and communion together to remember him, of course, to remember his sacrifice, to remember his unfailing love for us, to be reminded of all that he's done for us. That's why we do that. But I want to ask you this morning, as we take communion together, as we close, would you consider coming to him in your heart and in your mind today, wherever you are with the Lord? Would you consider coming to him with all of your devotion? and all of your service, and all of your commitment, and particularly if you need security and peace in your life right now, and you want to experience the unfailing love of the Father, would you make this, this time of communion a personal commitment to come to Him in submission and, and in worship, and allow Him to flood you with compassion, okay? He's so ready to fill our hearts with joy and peace and love and security and compassion. All the things we look for. And so often he's simply waiting for us to come to him and turn our hearts back to him. Okay? Let's do that together this morning as we share in his table. Ushers, would you come? And Jeannie, would you come?